section sixteen of a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one by george lily craik chapter two part ten the thirteenth and fourteenth centuries ascendancy of the scholastic philosophy ever since the appearance of peter lombard's four books of sentences about the middle of the twelfth century a struggle for ascendancy had been going on throughout europe between the scholastic theology or new philosophy and the grammatical and rhetorical studies with which men had previously been chiefly occupied at first the natural advantages of its position told in favour of the established learning nay an impulse and a new inspiration were probably given to poetry and the belles lettres for a time by the competition of logic and philosophy and the general intellectual excitement thus produced it was in the latter part of the twelfth century that the writing of latin verse was cultivated with the greatest success it was at the very end of that century indeed that geoffrey de vinsauf as we have seen composed and published his poem on the restoration of the legitimate mode of versification under the title of noa poetria or the new poetry but from about this date the tide began to turn and the first half of the thirteenth century may be described as the era of the decline and fall of elegant literature and the complete reduction of studious minds under the dominion of the scholastic logic and metaphysics in the university of paris and it was doubtless the same elsewhere from about the middle of the thirteenth century the ancient classics seemed nearly to have ceased to be read and all that was taught of rhetoric or even of grammar consisted of a few lessons from priscian the habit of speaking latin correctly and elegantly which had been so common an accomplishment of the scholars of the last age was now generally lost even at the universities the classic tongue was corrupted into a base jargon in which frequently all grammar and syntax were disregarded this universal revolt from the study of words and of aesthetics to that of thoughts and of things is the most remarkable event in the intellectual history of the species undoubtedly all its results were not evil on the whole it was most probably the salvation even of that learning and elegant literature which it seemed for a time to have overwhelmed the excitement of its very novelty awakened the minds of men never was there such a ferment of intellectual activity as now sprung up in europe the enthusiasm of the crusades seemed to have been succeeded by an enthusiasm of study which equally impelled its successive inundations of devotees in the beginning of the fourteenth century there were thirty thousand students at the university of oxford and that of paris could probably boast of the attendance of a still vaster multitude this was something almost like a universal diffusion of education and knowledge the brief revival of elegant literature in the twelfth century was a premature spring which could not last the preliminary processes of vegetation were not sufficiently advanced to sustain any general or enduring efflorescence nor was the state of the world such as to call for or admit of any extensive spread of the kind of scholarship then cultivated the probability is that even if nothing else had taken its place it would have gradually become feebler in character as well as confined within a narrower circle of cultivators till it had altogether evaporated and disappeared the excitement of the new learning turbulent and in some respects debasing as it was saved western europe from the complete extinction of the light of scholarship and philosophy 
which would in that case have ensued and kept alive the spirit of intellectual culture though in the meanwhile imprisoned and limited in its vision for a happier future time when it should have ampler scope and full freedom of range almost the only studies now cultivated by the common herd of students were the aristotelian logic and metaphysics yet it was not till after a struggle of some length that the supremacy of aristotle was established in the schools the most ancient statutes of the university of paris that have been preserved those issued by the pope's legate robert de Courson in twelve fifteen prohibited the reading either of the metaphysical or the physical works of that philosopher or of any abridgment of them this however it has been remarked was a mitigation of the treatment these books had met with a few years before when all the copies of them that could be found were ordered to be thrown into the fire still more lenient was a decree of pope gregory the ninth in twelve thirty one which only ordered the reading of them to be suspended until they should have undergone correction certain heretical notions in religion promulgated or suspected to have been entertained by some of the most zealous of the early aristotelians had awakened the apprehensions of the church but the general orthodoxy of their successors quieted these fears and in course of time the authority of the staggerite was universally recognized both in theology and in the profane sciences some of the most distinguished of the scholastic doctors of this period were natives of britain such in particular were alexander de hales style the irrefragable an english franciscan who died at paris in twelve forty five and who is famous as the master of st bonaventure and the first of the long list of commentators on the four books of the sentences the subtle doctor john duns scotus also a franciscan and the chief glory of that order who after teaching with unprecedented popularity and applause at oxford and paris died at cologne in thirteen o eight at the early age of forty-three leaving a mass of writings the very quantity of which would be sufficiently wonderful even if they were not marked by a vigour and penetration of thought which down to our own day has excited the admiration of all who have examined them william ockham the invincible another franciscan the pupil of scotus but afterwards his opponent on the great philosophical question of the origin and nature of universals or general terms which so long divided and still divides logicians ockham who died at munich in thirteen forty seven was the restorer and perhaps the most able defender that the middle ages produced of the doctrine of nominalism or the opinion that general notions are merely names and not real existences as was contended by the realists the side taken by ockham was that of the minority in his own day and for many ages after and his views accordingly were generally regarded as heterodox in the schools but his high merits have been recognized in modern times when perhaps the greater number of speculators have come over to his way of thinking mathematical and other studies in the mathematical and physical sciences roger bacon is the great name of the thirteenth century and indeed the greatest that either his country or europe can produce for some centuries after this time he was born at ilchester about the year twelve fourteen and died in twelve ninety two his writings that are still preserved of which the principal is that entitled his opus magus or greater work show that the range of his investigations included theology grammar the ancient languages geometry astronomy chronology geography music optics mechanics chemistry and most of the other branches of experimental philosophy in all these sciences he had mastered whatever was then known and his knowledge though necessarily mixed with much error extended in various directions considerably farther than but for the evidence of his writings we should have been warranted in believing that scientific researches had been carried in that age in optics for instance he not only understood the general laws of reflected and refracted light and had at least conceived such an instrument as a telescope 
but he makes some advances towards an explanation of the phenomena of the rainbow it may be doubted whether what have been sometimes called his inventions and discoveries in mechanics and in chemistry were for the greater part more than notions he had formed of the possibility of accomplishing certain results but even regarded as mere speculations or conjectures many of his statements of what might be done show that he was familiar with mechanical principles and possessed considerable acquaintance with the powers of natural agents he appears to have been acquainted with the effects and composition of gunpowder which indeed there is other evidence for believing to have been then known in europe bacon's notions on the right method of philosophizing are remarkably enlightened for the times in which he lived and his general views upon most subjects events a penetration and liberality much beyond the spirit of his age with all his sagacity and freedom from prejudice indeed he was a believer both in astrology and alchemy but as it has been observed these delusions did not then stand in the same predicament as now they were irrational only because unproved and neither impossible nor unworthy of the investigation of a philosopher in the absence of preceding experiments another eminent english cultivator of mathematical science in that age was the celebrated robert grosteste or grostet or grosthead bishop of lincoln the friend and patron of bacon grostet who died in twelve fifty three and of whom we shall have more to say presently is the author of a treatise on the sphere which has been printed a third name that deserves to be mentioned along with these is that of sir michael scott famous in popular tradition as a practitioner of the occult sciences but whom his writings of which several are extant and have been printed proved to have been possessed of acquirements both in science and literature of which few in those times could boast he is commonly assumed to have been proprietor of the estate of balweary in fife and to have survived till near the close of the thirteenth century but all that is certain is that he was a native of scotland and one of the most distinguished of the learned persons who flourished at the court of the emperor frederick the second who died in twelve fifty like roger bacon scott was addicted to the study of alchemy and astrology but these were in his eyes also parts of natural philosophy among other works a history of animals is ascribed to him and he is said to have translated several of the works of aristotle from the greek into latin at the command of the emperor frederick he is reputed to have been eminently skilled both in astronomy and medicine and a contemporary john bacon himself known by the title of prince of the averroists or followers of the arabian dr averroes celebrated him as a great theologian these instances however were rare exceptions to the general rule metaphysics and logic together with divinity which was converted into little else than a subject of metaphysical and logical contention so occupied the crowd of intellectual inquirers that except the professional branches of law and medicine scarcely any other studies were generally attended to roger bacon himself tells us that he knew of only two good mathematicians among his contemporaries one john of Leyden, who had been a pupil of his own and another whom he does not name but who is supposed to have been john peckham a franciscan friar who afterwards became archbishop of canterbury few students of the science he says proceeded farther than the fifth proposition of the first book of euclid the well-known ass's bridge the study of geometry was still confounded in the popular understanding with the study of magic a proof that it was a very rare pursuit in arithmetic although the arabic numerals had found their way to christian europe before the middle of the fourteenth century they do not appear to have come into general use till a considerably later date astronomy however was sufficiently cultivated at the university of paris to enable some of the members to predict an eclipse of the sun which happened on the thirty-first of january thirteen ten this science was indebted for part of the attention it received to the belief that was universally entertained in the influence of the stars over human affairs 
and as astrology led to the cultivation and improvement of astronomy so the other imaginary science of alchemy undoubtedly aided the progress of chemistry and medicine besides roger bacon and michael scott in the thirteenth century england contributes the names of john dalstein of richard and of cremer abbot of westminster the disciple and friend of the famous raymond lully to the list of the writers on alchemy in the fourteenth lully himself visited england in the reign of edward i on the invitation of the king and he affirms in one of his works that in the secret chamber of st catherine in the tower of london he performed in the royal presence the experiment of transmuting some crystal into a mass of diamond or adamant as he calls it of which edward he says caused some little pillars to be made for the tabernacle of god it was popularly believed indeed at the time that the english king had been furnished by lully with a great quantity of gold for defraying the expense of an expedition he intended to make to the holy land edward the third was not less credulous on the subject than his grandfather as appears by an order which he issued in thirteen twenty nine in the following terms know all men that we have been assured that john of roos and master william of dalby know how to make silver by the art of alchemy that they have made it in former times and still continue to make it and considering that these men by their art and by making the precious metal may be profitable to us and to our kingdom we have commanded our well-beloved thomas Geary to apprehend the aforesaid john and william wherever they can be found within liberties or without and bring them to us together with all the instruments of their art under safe and sure custody the earliest english writer on medicine whose works have been printed is gilbert english or anglicus who flourished in the thirteenth century and he was followed in the next century by john de gadsden the practice of medicine had now been taken in a great measure out of the hands of the clergy but the art was still in the greater part a mixture of superstition and quackery although the knowledge of some useful remedies and perhaps also of a few principles had been obtained from the writings of the arabic physicians many of which had been translated into latin and from the instructions delivered in the schools of spain and italy the distinction between the physician and the apothecary was already well understood surgery also began to be followed as a separate branch some works are still extant partly printed partly in manuscript by john ardern or arden an eminent english surgeon who practised at newark in the fourteenth century a lively picture of the state of the surgical art at this period is given by a french writer guy de coliac in a system of surgery which he published in thirteen sixty three the practitioners in surgery he says are divided into five sects the first follow roger and roland and the four masters and apply postesses to all wounds and abscesses the second follow brunus and theodoric and in the same case use wine only the third follow salicito and lanfranc and treat wounds with ointments and soft plasters the fourth are chiefly germans who attend the armies and promiscuously use charms potions oil and wool the fifth are old women and ignorant people who have recourse to the saints in all cases yet the true method of philosophizing by experiment and the collection of facts was almost as distinctly and emphatically laid down in this age by roger bacon as it was more than three centuries afterwards by his illustrious namesake much knowledge too must necessarily have been accumulated in various departments by the actual application of this method some of the greatest of the modern chemists have bestowed the highest praise on the manner in which the experiments of the alchemists or hermetic philosophers as they call themselves on metals and other natural substances appear to have been conducted in another field namely in that of geography and the institutions customs and general state of distant countries a great deal of new information must have been acquired from the accounts that were now published by various travellers especially by marco polo who penetrated as far as to tartary and china in the latter part of the thirteenth century and by our countryman sir john mandeville who also traversed a great part of the east about a hundred years later 
roger bacon has inserted a very curious epitome of the geographical knowledge of his time in his opus magus universities and colleges about the middle of the thirteenth century both in england and elsewhere the universities began to assume a new form by the erection of colleges for the residence of their members as separate communities the zeal for learning that was displayed in these endowments is the most honourable characteristic of the age before the end of the fourteenth century the following colleges were founded at oxford university hall by william archdeacon of durham who died in twelve forty nine balliol college by john balliol father of king john of scotland about twelve sixty three merton college by walter merton bishop of rochester in twelve sixty eight exeter college by walter stapleton bishop of exeter about thirteen fifteen oriel college originally called the hall of the blessed virgin of oxford by edward the second and his almoner adam de Baum, about thirteen twenty four queen's college by robert egglesfield chaplain to queen philippa in thirteen forty and new college in thirteen seventy nine by the celebrated william of wickham bishop of winchester the munificent founder also of winchester school of or college in the university of cambridge the foundations were peter house by hugh balsham sub-prior and afterwards bishop of ely about twelve fifty six michael college afterwards incorporated with trinity college by herbie de stanton chancellor of the exchequer to edward the second about thirteen twenty four university hall soon afterwards burnt down by richard badu chancellor of the university in thirteen twenty six king's hall afterwards united to trinity college by edward the third clare hall a restoration of university hall by elizabeth de clare countess of ulster about thirteen forty seven pembroke hall or the hall of valence and mary in the same year by mary de st paul widow of amer de valence earl of pembroke trinity hall in thirteen fifty by william bateman bishop of norwich gonville hall about the same time by edward gonville parson of tarrington and rushworth in norfolk and corpus christi or bennett that is benedict college about thirteen fifty one by the united guilds of corpus christi and st mary in the town of cambridge the erection of these colleges besides the accommodations which they afforded in various ways both to teachers and students gave a permanent establishment to the universities which they scarcely before possessed the original condition of these celebrated seats of learning in regard to all the conveniences of teaching appears to have been humble in the extreme great disorders and scandals are also said to have arisen before the several societies were thus assembled each within its own walls from the intermixture of the students with the townspeople and their exemption from all discipline but when the members of the university were counted by tens of thousands discipline even in the most favourable circumstances must have been nearly out of the question the difficulty would not be lessened by the general character of the persons composing the learned mob if we may take it from the quaint historian of the university of oxford many of them anthony awood affirms were mere varlets who pretended to be scholars he does not scruple to charge them with being habitually guilty of thieving and other enormities and he adds they lived under no discipline neither had any tutors but only for fashion's sake would sometimes thrust themselves into the schools at ordinary lectures and when they went to perform any mischiefs then would they be accounted scholars that so they might free themselves from the jurisdiction of the burghers to repress the evils of this state of things the old statutes of the university of paris in twelve fifteen had ordained that no one should be reputed a scholar who had not a certain master another of these ancient regulations may be quoted in illustration of the simplicity of the times and of the small measure of pomp and circumstance that the heads of the commonwealth of learning could then effect it is ordered that every master reading lectures in the faculty of arts should have his cloak or gown round black and falling as low as the heels at least as the statute with amusing naivete while it is new 
but this famous seminary long continued to take pride in its poverty as one of its most honourable distinctions there is something very noble and affecting in the terms in which the rector and masters of the faculty of arts are found petitioning in thirteen sixty two for a postponement of the hearing of a cause in which they were parties we have difficulty they say in finding the money to pay the procurators and advocates whom it is necessary for us to employ we whose profession it is to possess no wealth yet when funds were wanted for important purposes in connection with learning or science they were supplied in this age with no stinted liberality we have seen with what alacrity opulent persons came forward to build and endow colleges as soon as the expediency of such foundations came to be perceived in almost all these establishments more or less provision was made for the permanent maintenance of a body of poor scholars in other words for the admission of even the humblest classes to share in the benefits of that learned education whose temples and priesthood were thus planted in the land it is probable also that the same kind of liberality was often shown in other ways roger bacon tells us himself that in the twenty years in which he had been engaged in his experiments he had spent in books and instruments no less a sum than two thousand french livres an amount of silver equal to about six thousand pounds of our present money and in effective value certainly to many times that sum he must have been indebted for these large supplies to the generosity of rich friends and patrons End of section sixteen